What's up, listeners? It's Kasala here, and I'll be hosting the episode you're listening to. In today's episode, we speak to Efosa Ubano, one of the founders of African Impact Initiative, a nonprofit based in Canada that was more recently recognized in the SDSN, which stands for the UN's Sustainable Development Solutions Network Youth Initiative, as one of the 50 solutions of 2020. Efosa will be speaking to us all about the inspiration behind forming the African Impact Initiative, what he thinks sustainable development means, and sharing some major highlights from the work that African Impact Initiative has done so far. Please listen and enjoy. To Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Hello, Pod Save Africa listeners. It's your girl, Kasala. I am back with another episode. Um, today, we'll be talking to the founder of the African Impact Initiative, which is an awesome nonprofit organization based out of Canada. Um, Efosa, do you mind saying hi to our listeners? Yes, for sure. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you here. Um, so just to give you guys a brief background to who and what the African Impact Initiative is. It's a nonprofit that was started in November 2016 that's dedicated to creating a platform for African youth who are passionate about actively contributing to the sustainable development of the continent. And if you've been longtime listeners of this show, you know that this is, this is our jam. We love this. We love stuff like this. Um, the African Impact Initiative has four main focuses, um, which are the imp- impact entrepreneurship, sector engagement, rural development, and career development. And these are all pretty interesting things that we're going to go into in in depth a little bit um, with the rest of this interview. But first, before we go on, we'd like to ask Eflosa to please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. What would you like our listeners to know about you? For sure. Thank you. Um, So thanks again for having me on the um, interview slash podcast. So like you said, my name is Ifosa. Um, most of my friends actually know me as Casey. Okay. Um, so I'm from Nigeria, grew up, born in Lagos, um, and spent most of my life back in Nigeria before um, coming to Canada for university. Uh, so I went to high school in Abuja in mm-hmm. uh, Loyola Jesuit College, um, where I graduated. And I came for uh, university at the uh, University of Toronto in Canada in 2013. Um, what else? I did that, graduated in 2018, um, studied strategy, started working um, after my graduation. But more relevantly to this interview, um, started African Impact Initiative while still in undergrad. Um, so it's been four years. Um, well, it's going to be four years next month. Um, since we started that, and I juggled that with my uh, job at Dell Technologies uh, right now in Canada. 
Awesome. That's all very inspirational. That's really cool. Um, it was fun to learn about you. Um, and so you mentioned that you started African Impact Initiative while you were still in college. Um, so can you tell us more about that? What was your motivation behind starting this nonprofit? For sure. Yes. So I think growing up back in Nigeria um, and coming to Canada for, for university, I kind of had a perspective of obviously how things could be um, functional, you know, 24-7 electricity to internet all the time. So it was like, wow. Um, and we would have conversations with, so I had um, a lot of friends at UFT who also came from different parts of Africa. Um, we would have conversations amongst ourselves just about, you know, home and how much, you know, we missed home and how much things were different. Um, and there was this overarching theme that, oh, we, we almost have to wait until we finish from university, until we get jobs, until we, I don't know, become like senior people in our careers before we could really, you know, do anything to change uh, things at home. Um, so that was like part of the motivation because every time we ended up having these types of conversations, it would be, don't worry, when we get older, we would do this and do that. Um, and I was very restless. Um, I I wasn't particularly fond of like school or structure of just waiting and, you know, the bureaucracy of going in different stages before you can get stuff done. Um, so that was most of what motivated us. But from those conversations, we actually initially started, so at U of T Scarborough, um, we started the African Students Association. Um, mm -hmm. So I was one of the founding members of that. And um, through that platform, we did some things. I got the idea for African Impact Initiative like then, mm -hmm. um, but we couldn't use that platform to do this because that was also serving a different purpose of like cultural integration for you know international students coming in from different countries. So um, after a year of being there and having the ideas that we had to start African Impact, uh, my co-founder and I, um, my co-founder was from Ghana, so he and I left the ASA mm -hmm. and um, we set up African Impact as a separate thing. And yeah, that was really what led us to start that journey. Very cool. And I think what you described, a lot of us, at least I'll speak for myself, we have this, we want to come back to Africa. We want to do something new. We want to develop the country. Um, but most of the time, after a few years in the States or in Canada or in any other foreign country outside of Nigeria, we lose steam, right? So we, we get comfortable. We're like, ah, you know, Africa is its own problem. Um, and these are just some phrases, some feelings that I'm describing that I've heard from other people, people that I've spoken to, my friends, and so on and so forth. Um, we here at Positive Africa, we like to describe what, what you just described in your motivation as the African dream. And we've done a couple of episodes about that um, based on that theme. Um, and we think you still have the African dream still very much alive in you. Um, but how did you keep that steam going on? How do you keep your momentum? How do you keep being motivated in African Impact Initiative and some of its goals? Yeah, it's honestly, it's, it rubs off. Like you said, I think it's like what I just explained is something that so many people um, can identify with. 
Mm-hmm. So I think what's been most helpful is connecting with people who have the same um, dreams slash, you know, believe in what we're trying to do um, and just seeing how many people, you know, are like into this um, mindset or have this vision for, for where we call home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been probably the most um, motivating slash thing that's just keeping us going or keeping me going. Um, obviously, initially we had to, at the beginning it was very hard because um, I was just, like, I was in school, I had finals, I had, you know, exams. Mm-hmm. I remember when I told my parents about this at the time, the first question was, um, how is this making you any money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, that's not the point. Um, and then they're like, well, you're in university, we're paying, you know, dollars. And obviously they wanted me to be more focused on what's going to put like money um, in my bank account and get a job, which I eventually did. Um, mm-hmm. But the goal of this wasn't, oh, that was also very hard because this wasn't something that was set up to make me or to make anyone who came on board um, any money. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really about the impact to so our our biggest KPI is impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it was hard then. We had to adjust a lot of what we were doing to our situation at the time, which was with students. Um, and we couldn't really do stuff back home mm-hmm. because um, we could only go home for like the Christmas break or summer break. So a lot of time we were in Canada. So most of what we did for the first like year or two um, was based in Canada before we started doing stuff back home. Interesting. Very interesting. And how did you make that move? So you mentioned that you started these with students such as yourself. Um, you started most of your impact-based work in Canada. Um, I'm assuming um, getting other Africans, like-minded Africans involved, but how did you eventually make that shift to making an impact back on the home continent? Yes. So like you said, rightly, it was initially we had to build a community um, of other Africans in diaspora in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were some groups that existed more for like older people slash professionals. There wasn't really anything just for like youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have the ESAs, the uh, African Students Associations in like different campuses. Um, in my ASA role, I was uh, director of external marketing. So I was very much in touch with all the other ASAs, which was also helpful for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the very beginning, it was all about building that community and, you know, making it clear that, okay, this is what we're about. Um, and then the impact we were having, or at least what we were trying to do then was expose the African diaspora in Canada to um, the youth, to job opportunities slash um, skill-based trainings and just things that could better us as a community um, versus the typical parties and club nights that we would always host back then. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was how we started. University of Toronto was super, super helpful. Um, Our biggest break came when they started funding what we did in in Canada because as a nonprofit, we couldn't necessarily... um, we weren't setting up to make any money. So every time how we operated, we would get funding from U of T. We would apply to say like to have this project or that project, which they would fund. Um, and then we would be able to execute. Um, so we did that for a couple of years. When I was graduating in 2018, we got recognized by the university um, 
So that was the first time that we really had any publicity slash like media um, coverage. Um, and that helped because, okay, now we had to make sure we, we had to make a decision on what do we do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if we didn't get that much attention, um, I could have easily just, for, like, well, not forgotten about it, but it would have been easier to um, move on, like you said, and start working and just, you know, let it die. But um, because of the attention we got, we had to be intentional about, okay, what do we want to do next? Mm-hmm. So we set up to continue operating with students at the University of Toronto. So since I left, I think there's been two different sets of um, student leaders that have been taking charge of what we, what we used to do then. So with the funding that U of T gives, you know, execute different projects to help the Canadian youth, uh, African diaspora. And then myself and my team, of uh, my founding team, we remembered why we started this in the first place. Um, which was back home. So we're like, okay, cool. We have to do stuff back home. The good thing is everyone at that point was done with school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had, you know, no more finals or midterms to worry about, mm-hmm. um, and more bandwidth slash financial resources from our jobs to yeah. travel back home and to plan stuff back home. So that was, that was when we decided, okay, we're going to focus half of the organization towards that. Um, in terms of, I guess, how, um, Honestly, it was just, we, we had brainstorming calls. A lot of my team members at the time were in the healthcare uh, field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we could only do what we could do. Like I'm, I was business um, in business, but I was the only one um, on, the, on the, well, myself and my co-founder were the only ones that were business. Everyone else was kind of in the healthcare related field. So they were super yeah. passionate about healthcare um and they did research and okay we decided we were going to do that um and then we crowdfunded the funds so like we didn't have any money we tried to apply for stuff we couldn't get any funding um and i think that's probably one of the biggest things looking back every time we've started we've had to pool resources first Mm -hmm. then the results help us to raise like future funding slash resources slash support so the first ever project back home was fully crowdfunded um but once that took off everything kind of fell into place very cool very interesting um thank you for that um and so you mentioned a big part of why you started this nonprofit. you and your founding team is to focus on sustainable development um in the beginning of our conversation you spoke about constant electricity um, working, I'm, I can't remember what else you spoke about, but <laughs> I remember you, you mentioned constant electricity. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, is this the picture of sustainable development that you have in mind? If not, what can you paint a picture of what you think sustainable development should look like on the African continent? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, that, that uh, comment I made or picture was what my ideal world <laughs> was like. Mm-hmm. when I was just coming back. But I think sustainable development, um, you know, means a lot more. Um, we, we actually learned a, a hard lesson um, that has shaped my understanding of, of sustainable development. Um, so when we wanted to start doing stuff back home, the first project I spoke about, the healthcare project, yeah. we were super excited. You know, we're like, yes, we're going to 
go into a community and, and help them. Um, what we did, we uh, identified a community where there was um, a, a unique situation where they had a clinic. It, this is an acquired bomb, so people that are from Nigeria in the south of south of Nigeria would know um, this this place. So there's a teaching hospital, the University of Rio Teaching Hospital. Um, it's it, this uh, particular village was. Um, well, I won't say close to it, but that was the closest um, proper health facility for for a specific village um, in the state. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in the village weren't able to go there because it was pretty far. Um, and then some of them drove and stuff, but like they, it wasn't just a thing they did because it was just so far. And um, there, there was a government like um, set up in that village that was closer um but it was non-existent like it wasn't being used so there was a unique situation where a lot of them were having to either just use traditional medicine or forfeit just getting any care at all um so the research we did we spoke with the leaders in that village we've identified the key healthcare challenges that we're facing um so everything that we crowdfunded was used to um target these healthcare challenges to improve the outcomes for them. Um, so we thought, yeah, we were doing sustainable development um, or we were, you know, having an impact. Um, and it went great when we went back in December of 2018 to launch this. So we had a crowdfunding, sorry, uh, a campaign, um, awareness campaign, uh, and we had the people in the village come to this new hospital um, that we renovated that was closer to them. Um, we stocked it up with equipment that were targeting the, the key challenges they were facing. I think it was um, antenatal and postnatal care was a big one for the ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, and also things related to blood pressure. Um, they just didn't know that was a thing. They would diagnose it as a spiritual thing. And so the equipment we gave them um, at no cost um, was specifically um, to target these challenges and literally we came back to Canada slash North America like everyone went back after Christmas by January February um, they were like calling us and like too many people coming they didn't have the capacity to handle the people that were coming so it was a huge success in terms of engaging them and getting them to to, you know get cared for Um, we had some wins the baby's life was saved from um, a mother who previously lost her child before. So it was really fulfilling. But then we couldn't, that was when we saw like, okay, how do we keep this going? Because, you know, we weren't set up, we weren't, we weren't like a healthcare company mm-hmm. or, you know, that wasn't what we, yeah, we wanted to do something great, but like we weren't, we didn't think beyond launching this and providing them with the um, equipment and, you know, making sure that they got care. Um, right. What we eventually ended up doing was we had to partner with um, a local NGO that was based there. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got um, laptops, so they had to get a more um, digital way of storing records because they didn't have records before. So we had to get them laptops for them to store. So we, we kind of did a makeshift fix. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, that presented us with the challenge of, okay, if we're going to do projects, we need to have a way that it kind of sustains itself. Um, mm-hmm. What if we don't crowdfund again? 
right? Like then everything's dead because things need resources to keep going. Yep. Um, so that was that. What I would define as sustainable developments um, is um, development that involves value creation that sustains itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to help a community, if you're going to do anything like it can be based on you not knowing where the next crowdfunding or the next GoFundMe is going to come from, there has to be an operating model that allows X or Y to you know keep on going. Mm-hmm. Um, in a predictable way. So that's, that's sustainable development for me because um, that was a big learning uh, lesson and something that guided, I guess, our approach going forward after that project. Very interesting. So from what I'm hearing you say, sustainable development is value that keeps on creating value, right? Spot on. Yep. Awesome. And I think that is that is something that's very key and um just from research and um our own digging here on parts of africa that we find that is lacking in a lot of um development quote unquote um projects that have gone on on the continent so it's it's um commendable that your team realized that early enough and is working towards that goal um speaking of working towards things how would you describe the growth of african impact initiatives so far yeah it's been it's been quite a ride um honestly it's i don't often get the chance to reflect so reflecting from the questions today and um thinking about our conversation um it's been it's been what i would say is when you're trying to tackle a a, i guess a problem or a cause um that resonates with a lot of people Mm -hmm. um it's it's overwhelming the amount of support you would get as you go by um but it's key to like be able to vet that or how would i put it to sieve through because everyone wants to be involved in something that looks good right it's like wow we're doing this we're doing that Um, so since i started or launched it with my co-founder back in november 2016 um we got so many people reach out to us and oh yeah i want to get involved i want to get involved and at first, I was very naive. Um, I mean, I was like, yeah, working with all my friends and like depending on people. But like you would see that once something isn't, you know, paying anyone any money and when, when it gets complicated, um, people like, you know, yeah. fall away. So that's the biggest challenge we had growing from, from day one. We've had a lot of people that, you know, indicated interest, got involved in maybe an event or a project and you know we weren't able to engage them going forward mm-hmm. but what we were able to what, what i learned from that was obviously you would also see the people who are really like exactly. in it mm-hmm. exactly and you have to build the key areas of your team or whatever around these people um in terms of what gets done and obviously you still want to engage all the people who just want to you know feel good and like you know, give their two, their two cents, but then you, you set things up in a way that progress doesn't really depend on them, um, but you can still leverage their, their help. So that's been key. Um, I think the model, the, the part of our organization in Canada, so the students and everything they do, it's kind of um, a well-oiled machine at this point because U of T supports them and 
um, I interface with the the president, the co-presidents, um, and I get a bit. I get involved when they're uh, recruiting for new members, but like I, it's very hands-off in terms of the day-to-day, mm-hmm. um, and and that's been very great to see. It's such a diverse team now compared to when I was there, because obviously I'm Nigerian, so <laughs> most of my friends were Nigerian, mm-hmm. but now like it's from everywhere in Africa. I think only like a couple Nigerians out of the 20 people. Um, the other side of the team, the challenge team and the team that does stuff back home, that's where I'm more um, involved in, like on a day-to-day. Um, and that's also been really good. That, that's been, those people have become my friends, almost family. Um, and obviously we spend a lot of time together. So that, that side of the team is also growing and we're getting to a point now that we can actually start hiring people. So we've hired a couple of people um, in the last year. Next year, we're going to be hiring someone in Kenya. Um, so it's it's organic growth. It's a bit slow, but it's um, organic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, very impressive uh, with how much growth you've been able to accumulate between 2016 and now. Because that's just four years. And Four years is not a long time um, in nonprofit world. So yeah. uh, commend you on that. That's very impressive. Um, so in preparing for a conversation, I, will, I looked up um, African Impact Initiative a bit, even before I reached out to you, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was looking through an article by TechPoint.Africa that mentioned what you've spoken up about already, African Impact Challenge. And somewhere in the article, you mentioned that you're guided by principles of prosperity paradox. That is not really a term I'm familiar with. So if you don't mind, can you explain to our listeners what that means and how you manage to align the principles of the prosperity paradox to the core principles of your group today? For sure, yes. Um... So that's actually, uh, it's a book, like The Prosperity Paradox. I see. Um, And to be honest, it's been a very pivotal part of our challenge slash kind of direction going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So the book, it's by, um, it's written by Clay Christensen, who is late right now, um, and uh, Ifosa Ojomo and Karen Dillon. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're the three co-authors. And it talks about precisely what I spoke about at the beginning, um, the whole idea of you're trying to create prosperity slash impact by pouring in funds and, you know, pouring in resources, documents so much about how much, um, I guess, funding dollars have gone into the continent of Africa and other emerging economies and how, um, how that's turned out. And it, it proposes a different um, strategy for um, enabling prosperity in emerging economies. Mm-hmm. Um, it proposes a strategy of um, what we call market creating innovations. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, you're trying to um, not push from outside, but pull from within. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like pretty much the whole value creating value approach mm-hmm. um, when you enable that through, they, they have like certain principles and certain theories that, to be honest, it's really proven and tested. They give a lot of stories of um, 
innovations that have happened in the continent of Africa, in different continents as well, China before it became China today, mm-hmm. um, ETC. So it was, a, it was a, an eye-opener for me um, when I read it. I read it um, last year, I want to say like in the fall, so maybe this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend, a friend um, mentioned the book to me. So this was when we were thinking about the African Impact Challenge and we were like, how do we do things better going forward? Like, how do we prevent the mess that we had with the first project, which went well at first, but like, you know, the, the roadblock we faced when we couldn't keep things going as we had planned. So um, I connected with one of the writers eventually, um, Ifo Sawajomo, who's become an advisor actually for African Impact Initiative. He's been super, super helpful. Um, and we have touch points. Um, he's been guiding us as we execute the challenge. And um, yeah, the book has been really, really helpful. Very cool. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to get the other episode on the podcast now. Um, <laughs> <You could. laughs> um, but that it would be great to learn more um, from his point of view. Hopefully, maybe we can do that. Um, so you've spoken about how your nonprofit exists in Canada and has been able to kind of expand into the African continent, starting with Nigeria. You mentioned you're hiring someone from Kenya or you have. Are there any other plans to expand beyond this? Like, for instance, are you planning on expanding to other um, foreign countries like the U.S. or U.K.? Or tell us more about that. What, what is your vision for African Impact Initiative for the future? Yes, for sure. So um, right now we're focused on the African Impact Challenge. Um, mm-hmm. So like you saw in the article, um, it started this year. So this year we worked in Ghana. So that was the first country outside Nigeria that we um, expanded to. Mm-hmm. And how, how the challenge works, essentially, we invest in young entrepreneurs, um, young first-time entrepreneurs who have ideas but no resources um, to build technology-enabled solutions to some of their um, community problems. Um, so almost like what we did before, but instead of us being the um, brains behind you know, the ideas, we work with people who are actually living in those countries um, that are facing the problems you know, firsthand. Um, and we empower them with capital and with a couple of other um, resources. So Ghana was the first place. Um, the, the challenge is going to be in different countries every year. So we were able to raise a fund with um, U of T um, that's being used to invest. So Ghana's 2020, Kenya is 2021, which mm-hmm. is why we're hiring someone in Kenya. So it's going to be a program manager who's going to be working with the um, youth that we invest in next year. Um, we haven't decided, I guess, after Kenya for the challenge specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a five-year um, fund. Mm-hmm. So year three, four, five would be three other countries. Um, we want to go around. So like we've done uh, West. Africa, East Africa. East, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to be South Africa, probably, um, or Zambia, somewhere in the South. Um, mm-hmm. And then in the North, we're going to go, you know, probably, I don't know, Egypt. I'm just <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's the idea, at least for the first, uh, first five years. Um, honestly, the goal is that the challenge is a, 
a perpetual thing. So like we wanted to uplift us. We wanted to be, so eventually we want to get to all 54 countries. Um, but obviously that's <laughs> very ambitious. So right now we're, we're starting with five. So that's the idea for expansion. Um, every year that we work in a different country, we have a goal of investing and enabling innovations, uh, at least two. This year we did three in Ghana. Um, so two or three each with each country. Um, so that's the goal there. In terms of the um, diaspora community, um, so we are still primarily based in U of T, like in terms of where our resources are, where the office is, where the uh, student team is, but the, the projects they do and the events covers beyond U of T. Um, we're thinking of expanding to different campuses, um, like having the same type of setup, but you know, having maybe chapters in different campuses um, outside U of T in Canada. Um, we've thought about that for the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been very hard not to, to be honest, because I have a lot of friends in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the only reason I didn't at the time was because um, I just felt like we we needed to, like I really like organic growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I didn't feel like we had our things together in Canada, like to, you know, go to the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, so I think we're getting there. We might be there. Um, the challenge has just been such a beast that we haven't been able to think about expanding like that side of the, the organization. Mm-hmm. But um, that's also in the, in the, like we're open to that for sure. Like I would love ideally at some point to have um, US, UK, probably just those for now, because I think um, knowing like the diaspora and community, that's a big chunk of Africans in mm-hmm. the <laughs> country. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, those are the plans. There's no time stamp per se, um, for, for that piece, but yeah, that's kind of how it's looking. Very cool. Thank you for really breaking that down. Uh, That was, that was cool. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to, to anyone who has, or who has had similar motivation, who started off with, this idea of wanting to give back to the African continent has the motivation, perhaps came to a, a country in the diaspora with, with the same inclinations as you have, um, but is struggling to keep the African dream alive. What, what would you say to anyone out there who might be listening? Yeah, no, I would say like, it's hard to say one thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can say more than one. I just <laughs> maybe I'll try to like summarize my thoughts. Um, I won't. I won't go too long. I know we're almost at time. Um, so first thing, you you should take action. Like you would never know. You know, it, the worst thing is to have a dream or something inside sitting there and not acting on it. Um, so first things first, take action. Then I think like you you should be passionate enough about the cause um, because it's not going to go smoothly, especially if, unless you just have like a very rich dad or something like you have a lot of money. (laughs) But uh, if you're any, anything like myself or a lot of other people I know, like it's going to be tough. So you need to be very, very dedicated to this, uh, this cause that like, if when things go rough, you know, you're still able to keep going. Your team is super important. You need to have people, your tribe in your corner that are also feeling 
at least close to how you feel about this cause. Yeah. And then as you as you take action and as you execute stuff, um, try to be unique. Like, because I think there's um, so many things out there, so many people doing things. Try to like have an approach that no one else has, maybe, or a perspective that no one else has. Um, and like, you know, just when someone hears about what you're doing or sees it, like, let them be like, okay, this is different from what I've seen before. Um, and then you have to partner as well. So I think that's the last thing as you execute again, unless you just have a lot of funds at your disposal, you probably would have to partner strategically with different organizations. You need champions. Um, that's been so key for us, UFT. Um, all the people at FOSA from, uh, from the Prosperity Paradox, um, a couple of other key, key uh, champions slash sponsors we've had. Um, and these people are going to connect with you based on the belief in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to being unique or having a, a different perspective. Um, and like they have that belief and they see something they haven't seen before, you know, in a way that it's been done that they haven't seen before. So once you're able to kind of tick those boxes, I think um, it, it's at least going to be an easier ride than if you don't, you know, have those those boxes ticked. Very cool. And and just for just to rephrase for our listeners that may have missed one or two things, uh, the pieces of advice that I gave because <laughs> they're very 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 good um, key points here. The the first one he said was take action. And I think I, I really want to stress this because action could be big or small, any type of action, even mm-hmm. if it's just like in terms of illustration, lifting a foot, you know, just take action. And the second point was let the passion drive you, right? So mm-hmm. beyond the fears, beyond the financial constraints, let the passion drive you. The third point he gave is build a good team. This is one thing that in my life, in all areas of my life, I found to be a standout point um, because the team can motivate you when you're down, you know, different perspectives coming together and things like that. The fourth point he said is come with a unique perspective um, that separates you from everyone out there who's probably doing similar things or attacking similar causes. And the last was good partnerships. So he mentioned partnering with U of T and finding other partnerships that have helped them financially and helped them in creating some of the um, progress that they've made so far. So that was, again, take action, let the passion drive you, build a good team, come with a unique perspective and good partnerships. So these were all very excellent points. Thank you again, Afosa. Yeah, you put that better than I did. <laughs> no, no, I just took your words, really. <laughs> took your words and wrote them down. Um, so the last and final question that we have for you before we let you get, get back to saving the continent uh, <laughs> is how can our listeners support you and your nonprofit? Yes, thank you for that. I was hoping I didn't have to do a plug myself. <laughs> um, no. you can so we're, we're always looking for people to support in different capacities um i think the the easiest way would be um our website so like if you go on our website we have a, a an option that allows you to join our community so you can subscribe to get like our newsletters to see what's you know going on 
um, from there, we usually try to like engage people based on how they really want to be involved because of course there's no financial gains, you know, it's worth volunteering our time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the, the first, the easiest way. And if you're really, really compelled, like there's some people that, um, to be honest, some of the people that have become so key to our story have been the people that like, were just so into what we were trying to do or just have so much passion that they reach out directly. Like I'm very open um, because for me, I, I take, I take it very seriously like getting back to people slash, you know, when people reach out to me, because that's also been very helpful for me um, to get to this point. So um, I'm an open book. Um, if it's that compelling, like, and you want to chat, um, please reach out to me directly um, on social media or anything, LinkedIn. Like I'm, I'm very open. So I'll, I'll be happy to engage because that's how we've been able to also make a lot of progress by just listening to what people want to say. Awesome. Thank you so much. So you heard that listeners go to the website to join the community. And if you know the ninja is just hot in your body, you can <laughs> to Ephosa himself. Uh, thank you again, Ephosa, for your time and for this wonderful conversation. We can't wait to see what next the African Impact Initiative does. Um, this podcast. So maybe we'll have you back on again. We'll see. Uh, thank, thank you for your time and thank you listeners for listening. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me.